I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, aptly named. And in moments, uh, uh, I'm going to have couple of special guests on today uh, for this week. And then, of course, we'll wrap this up with the, with the best cleanup hitter in the business. Boston, you know him as Austin Ward, cohort at LettermanRow.com. But, uh, you know, I've got Tom Lemming on a long time. Matter of fact, he was probably the original national big-time recruiting analyst. And we're going to talk about just the way that business has blossomed, but then more on the job that Urban Meyer did at Ohio State and is now being followed up by Ryan Day. And then if you look at the draft and you look at the uh, recruiting rankings right now, um, the big-time schools, the elite schools, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. Yeah, and you can throw Michigan in there. Michigan had as many draft picks as Ohio State did this year with 10. But you can – but basically the elite of college football are, look like they're going to stay that way based on the way recruiting is going. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, and then I'm going to have Jim Burrow on, a, 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 who's been on this show several times, chronicling the rise and the, uh, the, the plaudits of his son, Joe Burrow, who in the last several months has won a Heisman Trophy, won a national championship, and uh, was named uh, the number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft. That's the old trifecta. That's the, uh, that's the grand slam, so to speak, of – of uh, triple crown of college football, you have to say, when you hit all three of those numbers all in the same year. So what a year, what a ride it's been for Jim Burrow and his wife and their son, Joe Burrow. And he's going to talk about sitting there on his couch the other night uh, waiting for the draft to happen, even though they knew what was about to happen. I mean, heck, Joe was holding a a, a Bengals cap in, in his hand uh, before the thing ever popped, so there was no big surprise there. But he's going to contrast that with, yeah, they, they're – it would have been cooler probably to be in Las Vegas because as Jim Burrow said, he's never been to Vegas. So that would have been a cool trip to take. And I told him he and I have to do that maybe one of these days, get out there. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, to start this off, let's, before I get to uh, Jim Burrow and then following that with Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. Here, here's a little conversation I had with Tom Lemming, the guru, the guru of gurus of recruiting analysts out there, the guy who really got it going from a national standpoint, I think you're going to enjoy this. Well, as promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back with uh, Tom Lemming, who uh, could rightfully be called the dean, or maybe better put, the don of recruiting services. Uh, Tom, uh, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. I'm glad to be on, Tim. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this guy goes back, I go back a long way with this fellow when I first started covering Ohio State football 
back in 1984. But before that, I mean, you know, he had started his, he had started his, uh, really got into this in, in 1978, put his first publication out, what, a, a year later, right, Tom, in 1979. You were a, you were a young whippersnapper at that point, uh, just trying to carve a niche where really no niche had been carved before. Yeah, we were talking about how um, uh, when I, I looked kind of young when I was 22, and I was worried that the players wouldn't want to talk to me because I looked younger than they did. So I would <laughs> lie about my age and tell everybody I was 25 instead of 22. And I said, now, now you know, now that I'm almost 64, uh, I change it around. I'll tell everybody I'm 60 or so. But it's uh, it's been a, a whirlwind. You know, it, it goes fast. I, I I got into it because I'm a massive baseball fan, but also uh, football. His, I love history. I actually uh, got got to meet Woody Hayes back in '79 up in our, Upper Arlington, and I met. Uh, I just had Eric Parsegian on my show before he died. I would go have lunch with Bo Schembechler and. To me, that was like a big thrill. Meeting the people when I grew up that were the big guys. I actually met Bear Bryant in 1981, right before he passed away. Uh, and I talked to him a couple times on the phone, actually, too. So the guys that I consider the icons of college football, when I was in grade school and high school, uh, I got to meet all four of those guys. Wow. I mean, you talk about a Mount Rushmore. You just named one right there, my man. Hey, you know, the thing about it is, though, is, you know, they were – they obviously were open to meeting you, too, uh, because you did, I think you did kind of like help bridge a gap. I mean, a lot of people were wondering who the best players were. How do you rank the best players? I'm talking about best high school football prospects in the country. And, uh, you know, these guys were as interested in you probably as you were in them because you kind of gave a little out. This was before Twitter, before the Internet, uh, uh, almost before computers when this first started with you. But, uh, you know, you did – you didn't feel like you were filling a niche there, didn't you? I mean, uh, maybe filling a gap that uh, was, was useful for people. Tim, that was my game plan. My game plan, I, I'd been traveling around the world. I never went to college. What I did out of high school was work as a printer, and then I would travel around the world. I, I was in the pyramids in Egypt. I spent a couple of months in the Kremlin during communist Russia. Mm-hmm. I loved history, so I would travel. But then I realized I had no uh, occupation. <laughs> so <laughs> when I came back, I actually – I actually went to the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field and asked if I could start even sweeping the floors, doing anything I can. And one of their old college coaches came finally. I spent a day there. No one came to see me. I came back the next day. I was very persistent. And Vidy Hemsel, who was one of their old college coaches, came up and said, hey, you know what? There's a lot of nepotism in this business, and you've got no contacts. They're not going to hire – we're not going to hire you. So then I decided – I was a stringer for a place called South Town Economist on the south side of Chicago. My sister worked there in advertising, and they paid me $5 a game to go cover, and mostly it was the Chicago Catholic League. And what most of the people would come up to me and ask me, not about that particular game, about was this guy going to Michigan or was this guy going to Notre Dame or is this guy going to Illinois and Ohio State? And I realized, you know what, it's all local. No one did a national thing. There was Parade Magazine, but there really was no national law. Uh, coverage uh, right like if you're in columbus ohio you covered ohio state's recruiting you didn't cover alabama or usc or florida so my niche was to add what i love to do which was travel geography and history with football so uh, when i started traveling in 78 i slept in my car almost every day usually two out of three days because i couldn't afford hotels and i remember doing the bob trumpy radio show a couple of years after that and frank beckman up in detroit and uh George Lehner in Columbus, all these other guys you know, a few years later, they didn't realize that. I remember Trump being here's the man who knows recruiting. I was the only guy in the business back then, so I had to be the man. 
Yeah. Here's the man that did this and that. He didn't realize I was sleeping in my car down below the radio station the night before. <laughs> that, I, that I that was actually what I was doing is to get things going and travel around the country because it took me about six, seven years to make money. But because I had such a love of doing what I was doing, it didn't bother me. I had to work other jobs at the printer, the post office, other things, just to keep the magazine going. And then by the seventh year, I started making enough money where I could just do this around 1986 by itself. Yeah, you know, I was I was I was explaining you to somebody a couple of years ago, and they were talking about you know this postman, you know this guy, and I go, no, you don't understand. He did that to pay for doing what he was really, what he thought his real job was, his real passion was, which was you know in essence figuring out who the top uh, prospects were around the country and letting people have an idea of who was looking at them and where they might be going. And Tom, I mean, before I get into really what I want to talk to you about, I mean, is it is it amazing to you as you look back now? how much this exploded. I mean, you know, there are recruiting services at the yin yang. Well, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not amazed because with the internet, it made everything possible. But before that, there was, there was always the people I called the one percenters, the 1% that were the nuts. Ohio state's got 1% nuts. So does Penn state, Michigan, Notre Dame, all of them do. They have, these are the people that are, are almost a little bit above and beyond, like the guy who poisoned the trees, the Alabama fan for Auburn. And everyone's got those crazy ones, and those people would do anything to get recruiting news. But I knew I figured if there's that 1%, that means the rest of them probably would want to know. They wouldn't be as nutty as these people, but, met, but uh, they would still yeah. want to know about it. So I figured the audience was out there. You just had to reach them. And the way I reached them back in those days, like you – uh, you were uh, the, the big newspaper guy in Ohio talking to you or talking to all the radio people around the country, Hat Gaudy down in New Orleans. I did Phoenix and did Los Angeles. The only place I was never able to get into really was New York because they didn't cover college, college football recruiting. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of uh, fandom in New York City. There, is, there are no high schools really in Manhattan and very right. few around the area that would be considered for that. So every other market I would get into between 79 and 86. And that's why I was able to sell my magazine. I didn't have money at the time to advertise. So what I would do is go on radio shows constantly and, and talk to newspaper people and hope they would just plug the uh, magazine. Well, let's get right into it. I mean, like, you know, this from the ground up, I mean, you used to give Mel Kuyper Jr. Your information. I mean, uh, you know, as you and I were talking about, uh, you would dictate your top 100 or you dictate, you know, your list of guys you were interested in, to him, and you know, he would parlay that into into what his passion, which uh, became obviously a saleable item for him, uh, getting on ESPN uh, with his with his report about the about the NFL draft. But you know, uh, uh, you're not surprised. I sit here right now. I'm going to read off these numbers to you. LSU football: 14 people were drafted this year. Uh, tied Ohio State for the record. University of Michigan football: 10. Ohio State football: 10. Alabama: 9. Clemson: 7. Florida seven, Georgia seven, Utah seven, Auburn six, Notre Dame six, and then of course there are a lot of others with five and four and et cetera. But that little list there is not a big surprise to you based on your recruiting, uh, how you cover recruiting, right? That the uh, the cream goes to the most of the big time schools and then it rises to the top. Absolutely, Tim. You know I spent a lot of time. I still go see every single player just about in person. That's why I'm on the road all the time and. I spent a lot right. of my time in the South, particularly Florida, Georgia, where there's an enormous amount of talent. There's a lot of North Carolina. Uh, in Big Ten area, uh, obviously Ohio, but Maryland is loaded. When you talk about the DMV, the, you know, the uh, D.C. 
Maryland, Northern Virginia area, that's absolutely loaded too. And that's where Chase Young comes from. And a lot of other players came from there. And so you know where the players are. There's a lot of great players in the South, but it's also the money that the Southeast Conference schools have put into recruiting. Uh, when I went, I've known Nick Saban for years. Most of the coaches came over to my house to watch film in the 80s and 90s. I would always leave my basement open and everyone, and I had all the film traveling around the country and the uh, VHS tapes. And uh, everybody would come over to watch film. I remember, uh, even Earl Bruce and some of the, his assistants would come over Back in those days, uh, Mark, Matt, uh, you know, uh, Mac Brown, all the guys I talked to, Phil Fulmer became my co-host on TV. Yeah. A lot of those guys would come over to watch film. And I, and I, and I know that the key to recruiting, Urban Meyer told me this as did Pete Carroll, Mac Brown, Nick Saban. The key to recruiting, no matter how good of a coach you are, you win with impact players. They understood that you win by recruiting. If you have a hobby, uh, which is a lot of these head coaches do is golf, they're never going to win big. I mean, they're going to win, but they're not going to win everything your hobby has to be recruiting nowadays because of the uh, persistence of the other coaches and the aggressiveness and the stick to they have in recruiting. So you've got to do the same thing. Urban Meyer brought that mentality to the big 10 followed by James Franklin. So now you're seeing the big 10 trying to catch up. They're not there yet. The SEC, every coach, including Vanderbilt, those guys are ferocious recruiters. And then you get Ed Ogeron coming into LSU. Who's uh, I, I gave uh, my TV show last year, my Mount Rushmore of great recruiters. And I always had, since I started in the late 70s, and it, it would be um, uh, in no particular order, the six guys would be Mac Brown, Urban Meyer would be one of them, Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, Phil Fulmer, and Bobby Bowden. Those were the guys that understood that you won by recruiting. Bobby Bowden and Mac Brown never had a great reputation of being great coaches. They had great reputations of being great recruiters. Urban Meyer and Nick Saban had great reputations of being great coaches, but also great recruiters. So how could you beat those guys? If they could yeah. do both well, they're going to be in the national title hunt every year. So when the fans of other schools, like now maybe Michigan or Notre Dame or some of the schools that haven't quite gotten up to that, they're in the top level, but not the exact top level. The top level of the six schools would be Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Florida, and not Florida, Georgia, uh, uh, and uh, LSU, those schools would be in that super level where every year they just recruit blue chip after blue chipper. Michigan, Notre Dame are not in that level yet. The coaches have to get into that mindset of recruiting two years in advance, recruit the sophomore. Here's a good story. When Leonard Fournette was coming out, I was sitting in the office after his sophomore year watching film with him and his coach. And all of a sudden, during that time I was there two hours, three coaches called Leonard, uh, called the coach to make sure Leonard called them on their weekly call. He's only now finished between his sophomore and junior year, but it was Nick Saban in Alabama, it was Lane Kiffin at USC, and it was Les Miles at LSU. No wonder those are the three schools he chose yeah. to finally as his top three. They had been on him for two years, so the other schools that recruited him for the final year had to play catch-up, and they never did. And that's how – I know uh, I had a breakfast with Urban Meyer – he brought um, uh, who's the head coach of the Tennessee team now? Mike Vrabel. Not Vrabel. He brought Vrabel to meet me at. He brought Mike Vrabel to the airport here, and we met for breakfast when Vrabel first got to Ohio State and wanted to talk and wanted me to kind of give him the lay of the land in Chicago. And during that time, Urban was texting ball players. I mean, sending things out, but it was a whole group of offensive linemen, everything else. Urban went above and beyond when it came to recruiting. He understood coming from the SEC mentality. That's what you had to do. So when he got to Ohio State, no, everyone else is blown away. Oh, my God. It's, Ohio State seems to be in on everybody. It wasn't yeah. luck. It was hard work. And then Harbaugh kind of brought that. Harbaugh works hard, and Franklin is a f fantastic recruiter. You still don't see that completely in the Big Ten. 
Um, uh, Loxley does it at Maryland a little bit above and beyond. Uh, the other guys are still trying to play catch up until the ADs get smart in the Big Ten and realize that you not only got to bring in a great coach, you got to bring in a guy that's 24-7 when it comes to recruiting, then they're still not going to be uh, a super team. Hey, let me, let me ask you a quick question about that. Is P.J. Fleck, does he get it? I mean, do you get the sense that he's got something going on at Minnesota? I mean, what is your what is your sense? I mean, that's a, that's a long way away from Florida in all kinds of ways, you know what I mean? But, I mean, is, is that a guy to keep your eye on a little bit and, and uh, maybe a Jeff Brom at uh, Purdue? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, Brom, I'm not sure, is a great recruiter. Uh, he's a good coach. I knew him as a high school kid, too. I knew P.J. as a high school kid. He was from Chicago here, and uh, P.J. was actually an overachieving wide receiver. But P.J., um, what the other schools, if, B, if P.J. winds up at a superpower, that's when you're going to see some uh, great recruiting. Minnesota yeah. has trouble because there isn't much talent up there, and getting kids to come up in the wintertime for official visits up in mm-hmm. Minneapolis uh, is awfully difficult. But I do think that P.J.'s got what it takes to be one of those super coaches uh, at a school, say if uh, Michigan or Notre Dame lose their coach or somebody else, he gets there and he'll have that recruiting mentality that, that uh, Ohio State has and that Penn State has right now. But I don't think that – at Minnesota, he is doing a good job, but I think there's limits to Minnesota. You could have one great year, and it's tough to sustain it when you're uh, recruiting for the University of Minnesota. What, what, is, what is Ohio State? Ryan Day seems to have picked up the ball and really run with it. Uh, what, what is it that impresses you about Ryan Day? Uh, you've already talked about, you know, Urban Meyer – you know, 90% it seemed like what Urban Meyer was about was about some way of enhancing the recruiting, you know, experience or the recruiting success. And uh, we, all the enhancements to the, uh, to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, you know, uh, it, 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 they continue as we talk. But what, it, what has impressed you, Tom? Uh, obviously, Ohio State's already got, what, 16, 17 commitments to its 2021 class. What impresses you about the way Ryan Day has gone about his business? And by the way, this could be one of those uh, iconic classes that you remember the, uh, yeah. what was it? The sophomore class of 68 at Ohio state when they, everybody, uh, and I, I remember that class. I'm getting old enough to remember Jack Tatum yeah. and a lot of those guys coming into that class, but yeah. um, this class could be similar to that. Every single one of these kids I've, I've met in person that they've got committed for. And I'm shocked that they can get up, but Clemson got off to this great start exactly like this last year and then tailed off a bit. So you gotta, you gotta maintain it all the way till December. So it's good to be excited now, but it'll even be better to be excited uh, in December after you get these guys signed, sealed, and delivered. But what, what Ryan, May ha- Ryan Day has is that he learned under uh, Urban Meyer, just like um, uh, uh, Kirby did at Georgia and uh, Mullen did at Florida, Yeah, I, I learned under, uh, under Urban. And the key is um, pick up things. These are the great recruiters. They haven't lost – they haven't – missed a step now since urban left and Ryan days taken over. Cause I think he understood the importance of recruiting and to hire assistant coaches that understand the importance of recruiting. If you work for urban Meyer, if you work for Nick Saban, you weren't doing the job recruiting, you'd be gone in a couple of years. And I've seen that happen for both schools more at Alabama. They seem, even if they do do the job, they're gone in two years, but uh, <laughs> because it's tough to work, for, it's tough to work for Nick. But the fact is, You've got to have 11 guys on the same page when it comes to recruiting, which means you spend a lot of time working and building relationships with sophomores and juniors, guys that are uh, you identified already as great players, and that's what they've done. You know they've been working on uh, a guy like Kyle McCord for a long, long time. I saw Donovan Jackson as a freshman at another school. He's at Episcopal now in Houston, but his dad brought him out 
He was at another school. He was a, but he was a freshman All-American. Ohio State had already been talking to his coach, which means Donovan was calling Ohio State. This is three years ago almost. They're yeah. working on it. So it's, it's no surprise when they get these guys. And I remember um, Ohio State's running back from Texas, uh, the one who just got drafted. My yeah, J.K. Yeah. Dobbins. Yeah. So I went to see J.K., and he's at a small town between Houston and San Antonio. LaGrange. Here's the difference. Yeah, and uh, I, I stopped. I said in the office, his coach was a diehard Notre Dame fan, his high school, and his coordinator, who was his coach's brother. They had all this Notre Dame paraphernalia allowed the football office and yeah. all that. And he said, he goes, you know what, Tommy? I called Notre Dame and a year ago. They still never came down to see Dobbin, but Ohio State had called one time. They were there within a week. It shows yeah. you the difference between Ohio State and Notre Dame when it comes to stuff like it. Notre Dame just didn't go see him for an extra year, so they didn't really have a shot at him. Ohio State was working on him ahead of time because – Obviously, you got to battle A&M in Texas when you're in that part of the country. But Ohio State was able to get a, a great running back like Dobbins. And uh, same thing with Trayvon Henderson when I saw him uh, a couple months ago in Hopewell, Virginia. Hopewell, Virginia. Uh, he was the coach was telling me different schools. Now Saban, all the other guys had been working on him, but Ohio State's running back coach had done a terrific job of building a relationship with him. So even at that time when I saw him in late January, he told me that. Ohio State was the favorite school. Guys like Jack Sawyer, they're born to play at Ohio State. But for most of these other guys, Ohio State's become a national recruiting team. So they don't go after as many Ohio guys as, um, as Trestle did or as uh, Woody did or any of the guys did. They're going – Urban brought the – Pete Carroll told me this uh, a few years ago. He, I said, boy, your Southern California is loaded. He goes, you know, Tom, that's our base. However, we're going out looking for number one draft choices around the whole country. If that number one draft choice is better than a kid from Los Angeles, we're taking that kid. No matter yeah. where he's from, he goes, when you win, the fans don't say, you won with all of your local guys. No, they say you just won. If you yeah. lose, they don't care how many local guys you have. They're going to fire you anyway. So you go after the best player available, and that's what uh, Ryan Day is doing. That's what Urban had done, and that's why they're having such great success now. Uh, I, 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 I'm stammering because I'm trying to figure out exactly how to ask this. Uh, 1978, 79, when you first started this, like you said, I think Ohio State recruited regionally, got some guys from, you know, from around the country. I mean, like Corny Green and, and uh, Pete Johnson and, yeah. and guys like that as it went along under Woody. I mean, they weren't, they weren't just uh, in, a, in a, a cocoon here. But, Tom, has is Ohio, is Ohio State ever been a more national name than it is now? I mean, is it, is it on level – is it on the same level with, with a, you know, Alabama or Clemson? How, how would you – how would you put those in perspective from the standpoint yeah, of that's a good That's go a good uh, comparison because, you know, Alabama, there's talent in Alabama. They'll go after Alabama guys, but mainly they're recruiting nationally. Clemson, for sure, they, don't, they rarely go after anybody from South Carolina. They're in yeah. Georgia more than Georgia, as it seems like. So they've got that great philosophy of going after the impact players, the five-star guys. You bring in five, ten five-star players, five are going to make it big. The other five, because of injuries or – or great problems, or off-the-field problems. There's some reason why they may not make it. So the abundance of great players makes these teams special. Ohio State's the same way. With all the great players they're bringing in now, I'll guarantee you some of them aren't going to make it for some reason or other. But with the amount of guys they're bringing in, of course they're going to be in the national title picture for a long time. But no one at Ohio State, or obviously Woody was mainly Ohio. So was Earl Bruce because he was a disciple. And then um, John Cooper, Cooper was mainly Ohio. Yeah. So it was Trestle. Trestle was being uh, from Ohio. Uh, Urban brought that mentality to him. And I remember people saying, hey, Michigan's going into Ohio taking players. He didn't care. 
he was getting better players from around the rest of the country. Why? He yeah. was happy Michigan was taking those Ohio players because he knew he was going to beat them on the field. And that's the smart way to do it. You go after just no matter where that player is from, you go after the great ball player. And uh, that's what Urban did. And obviously Ryan Day is doing that too. They've got like a who's who of national names now committed for this coming season from states like Virginia or Pennsylvania or Texas or Florida. They got guys from all over the place. And this is going to be one of those classes to remember because they've done that. Hey, real quick, what, 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 is it, what, what does it take? Do, do, you, do you attribute some of that, obviously, to winning, but do you attribute it also to the rise of television? And you can, if you live in Arizona and you have the Big Ten Network or you have any kind of cable, or if you live in California or Florida, you can watch every Ohio State football game, for example. Has that helped the superpowers if you follow my drift? Oh, yeah. You know what? When we were growing up, they didn't have that. I remember regional games. They'd have a big game. If you ever yeah. were on TV on ABC twice, that means your game number – even if it was Michigan or Ohio State, they couldn't televise it nationally because yeah. they already had two national games that year. It was ridiculous. So that made it more – back then, Notre Dame was the only national team because they had to be. Uh, and Duke Rockney started in the 20s, so they had that uh, history of doing that. But back then, they were the only ones that recruited nationally. Everybody else was more within a 300-mile radius, that kind of uh, – uh, mindset they had, but now yeah. not only national television, but you can get cheap airlines tickets to go from say Seattle to Columbus. You yeah. can get there. So if you wanted to recruit in Los Angeles, they can get to Columbus fairly easily now than much easier than they could 40 years ago and much cheaper. So now the parents can come and see the ball players. So it doesn't really matter. Say, hey, don't you want to stay close to home because your parents could see you go. My parents could see me every week anyway, which they actually do. They'll travel. They can get $70, uh, flights into Columbus. So, I mean, right now it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's smart. And, and really it works perfectly to be, there aren't many schools that, you know, I would say 16 that could be great national recruiting teams. The 16 teams that have the power, the money, the facilities, the, uh, the exposure and the uh, tradition to do it. Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame being the only three in the Midwest that could actually do that consistently. Uh, after going after the great players, Penn State's the only team in the East. And then, you got quite a few of them in the South and maybe USC out West and uh, Washington and Oregon at times, but they're not consistently doing it. It's tough to get up to Oregon, even though they've been winning now for the last year, but uh, they had a couple of bad years, but you can see Texas doing it. A&M's trying to do it, but College Station isn't exactly the easiest place to get to if you're a national recruit. So right. there's about 16 schools that can actually do it. Ohio State being, you know, their big hub. They, it's a big city that has a big airport, so it's perfect for them to recruit Los Angeles or Miami or uh, Chicago kids. Yeah, plus it's, it, you know, it and uh, Blue Jackets hockey, Columbus Blue Jackets hockey, and maybe a little bit with the uh, MLS uh, soccer team, the crew. I mean, Columbus football, I mean, Ohio State football is the biggest sport, not just in Ohio, not just in Columbus, but in the state of Ohio, you know, and uh, I think that is like you said, help propel it too. Hey, last thing, uh, who on this Ohio State coaching staff, and I know kind of, you know, I know you have to keep up with like a million guys out there, but who has caught your eye as far as being a stellar recruiter? Obviously, Brian Hartline has made a lot of inroads since he got hired two years ago, uh, you know, at the, as a wide receiver coach. Tony Alford, you talked about him a minute ago, going, yeah. uh, going off to Trevion Henderson. Uh, but who, who's caught your eye on this staff? Their D line coach has got a great history of recruiting Larry defensive Johnson. linemen for at um, you know at several schools, but you know I remember at Penn State uh, he was fantastic there too, and <laughs> so um, you know he got Chase Young, and Chase Young was from a Catholic school. You figure 
Notre Dame might be involved. Alabama is very close to DeMatha the head coaches, and Nick Saban is, and uh, he was able to lure them away from some other major schools. So uh, Larry's done. He probably she's not earning as much money as he should at Ohio State with the kind of great defensive line, the Bosa brothers. Although, you know, with their connection, obviously, with the history at Ohio State, um, I actually right. interviewed their, their uncle, and I met their mother back in 1983 when I was at the house uh, interviewing uh, uh, Kumaro, and Kumaro's yeah. sister was there, and that's, that's the Bosa's mother. So I remember then, and I remember back then, that Kumaro came down to, Ohio State, Penn State, Illinois, and Michigan, and he chose Ohio State. And him and Spielman played a couple of years together there. and uh, That was a great time because Spielman was my national player of the year the year after that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what's funny is uh, in that draft in 80 – what was that draft, 88 or 80 – anyway, Cumro was a first-round draft pick and Spielman wasn't. <laughs> I know. And Spielman was the better player, obviously, when you watched him. But... It just shows you about the draft, yeah. you know. Yeah, but – Hey, hey Tom. Last thing, uh, uh, who who this who this twenty twenty one class really just jumps out at you for Ohio State? That obviously Jack Sawyer, uh, maybe that's the guy. But uh, who who just is really piqued your interest and and what that you think oh, uh, is almost a can't miss? Yeah, well, all of them. <laughs> Cause the, <laughs> the two from Philadelphia, the two from Philadelphia are great players. Marvin Harrison Jr., the Johnson kid from St. Louis, I thought was a super corner. I saw him as a I go to Deschmidt every year, and I saw him since his freshman year, and he's, a true, he's got the length. He's got everything as a top corner. The kid from uh, Katy, Texas, who's now at IMG, I went and saw him at Katy, uh, two eyes, and I, yeah. he's out, outstanding defensive end. Katy, Texas has got three players next year at two different high schools that are great players also. So then I go to visit him, and a month later I'm at IMG Academy, and he comes, hey, Miss Lemon, how are you doing? And I'm trying to remember who he was. I said, trying to make a, I said what are you doing IFG seems to recruit all these great players. I went yeah. down. I missed Joe. I didn't go see Joe Burrow in high school out of my own laziness because there's no expressway that goes down to, to, to Athens, Ohio. And I figured it's a lot of two lane roads and everything else. I didn't go see him. So I went and saw Rita Carrico about uh, two months ago. I drove all the way down to Ironton and spent a couple hours at the high school with him. And I didn't want to miss anybody else in that part of Ohio. Yeah, so I thought, and I think I think Reed. You know, I pick the Buckus Award every year for the top high school linebacker, and he's going to be one of our favorites this year. Uh, we'll, we'll announce the names in July, but obviously Reed's going to be one of them. And I loved him on film. This kid is, uh, and he was born to play at Ohio State. Ben Christman, I went over to uh, Rivera to see him. Evan Pryor over in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Since his freshman year, I've been seeing him because when you go to Huff High School, you got to go every year. And then I stopped by to see the Ballard kid, who's the best receiver in the Midwest out of uh, Massillon, Washington, a school that yeah. I've been going to for almost 40 years. So yeah. almost every single guy jumps out at you. That's why this class is so special right now. You can't find a guy. The Turrentine kid, you know, I, I got to be friends with Tim McGraw in Nashville when we did the movie together. And I go to Ensworth High School every year for a game. And my niece is now a cop. She graduated from uh, the college down there, and she now is a cop in uh, – in the uh, Nashua-Brentwood area. And so I went and I was watching this kid, safety, about two years ago. His name's Andre Turrentine. I thought he was a senior. He was such a great player. He was a sophomore. And I'm wow. thinking, oh, my God, you know, he's good. And Ohio State gets this guy. Everybody else were a little bit better. You know why? Because Ohio State was in on him right when everyone else was. They didn't wait around and wait until Alabama to offer or maybe Florida State's going to offer, even though it's, he's a kid from the South. 
they offered him right with all the other schools, and that's a key to it too. If you're recruiting out of your own area, you better get right in the middle of those offers when they're off, not a year later, or else you're not going to really have a shot at the kid. Even even if you are Ohio State, you're not going to have a great shot at the kid because Alabama, Clemson, the other schools that have already offered and that are a little bit closer to the kid, they've already worked him for a year or two. Hey, are, do all these kids strike you as upstanding young men? I mean, well, I mean that that to me has been the biggest real change over the last several years with Ohio is almost everybody they bring in is a class, kind of a classy individual. I mean, yeah, they've had a couple of misses on that, you know, that have been publicized. But uh, that, that Tom, that's what's really impressed me about – some of these guys aren't just four and five stars. They're, some of them are polite, really good guys. Do you, do you sense that too? Absolutely. I, like I said, I met every single one yeah. sitting down and talked to them, and I take notes. When I was doing the U.S. Army game for the first 12 years, I would always take notes. And if a kid was disrespectful to somebody or the way they talked and everything else, and you know, and you're right, Ohio State had some. I remember we had Maurice Claret in our first uh, Army game, and I brought him down. I put him as the player of the year in USA Today and everything else. And I, I liked him. However, I knew how he was with some other adults, and he refused to play in our game because he was getting mad because we had five running backs on the East team practice. And he said, I get a call from the coach, says, come over to practice, so you got to talk uh, – your guy, because he was my guy, to get him to so I go over and I told him, I said, well, you have a shot at winning the player of the year thing we're going to have announced at the banquet the next day. And so he reluctantly went and practiced. He didn't win it. And he walks by me on the table where I was sitting with my son at our big banquet. And he goes, I'm not playing tomorrow. I go, why? He goes, I pulled my hamstring. I go, you didn't practice. How you pulled it eating dinner? And he, goes, <laughs> and he didn't play during the game. He stood on the sidelines because he was mad. So I called one of the Ohio State coaches and I told him, I said, I think Maurice might give you guys some problems again. We don't worry. We know how to handle guys like this. And obviously, you know, the rest of the story. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so it's, but you're right. Donovan Jackson, every single kid I've seen, I'm looking at their list now. were all wonderful kids, really just real respectful. Henderson was great. He, he came real early to meet me at seven in the morning with his coach. And I could tell wow. he was sleeping. He was almost falling asleep while we we're doing the interview. Real polite, real nice. If you go to St. Joseph's High School in Philadelphia, you're, you're taught to be that way. So you know those guys are. And yeah. Sawyer was great. I just I just saw Sawyer a couple of weeks ago and a couple of months ago, and at his high school. And every single kid, I'm looking down the list. Not one of them. All of them would have been guys I would have immediately recommended for the Army game because they're such good kids. Even guys like uh, Chrisman and Hall from Ohio. That you know they're they're good players. Sam Hart from Colorado is going to be on the cover of my magazine with the other top 20 underclassmen in Colorado this year and wonderful kid, great tight end, just wonderful guy. Uh, Devonte Smith came over to my Cincinnati get together near the end of, I haven't been on the road now a month because of the virus. And, uh, one of my last stops was, uh, I had all the kids in Southwest Ohio meet over at, uh, Roger Bacon and Devonte came by wonderful kid too. They're just, it's, you're right. Ohio state's not only bringing in five-star players, but to bring in five-star people. And that's a key, I think, to, avoiding trouble, which sometimes in the past they've had. Tom Lemming, ladies and gentlemen, there's no, no one else like him. There are a lot of imposters out there, but Tom Lemming was the original, and he was a good guy to me when I first started covering Ohio State, and I tried to be a good guy to him. And, Tom, this was great, man, having you on my podcast. I'm a, we're going to do it again. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we can get you one day from the backseat of your car if you've just awakened <laughs> oh, oh, one your, oh, one of your trips if you ever if you ever get to travel again man this COVID-19 is knocking everybody on their butt isn't it well you know what Tim uh 
I, I actually don't have to sleep in my car anymore, but I do it at times because I, I had to go see Reed, I had to go see Reed Carrico, and I had to meet him at seven in the morning at his high school. And um, driving from Chicago in the winter time, this is February, and it was a big snowstorm driving. I gave, I left around eleven o'clock at night. I got there early, so I slept in my car in the parking lot of the school, and a security guard or a policeman came by, knocked on my window. What are you doing here? <laughs> I got there three hours ahead of time, so I figured, okay, I'll take a little nap here in the car. And I said, well, I'm here to interview a ball player. Immediately, he knew who it was. You know, obviously, Reed's a big yeah. name in Ironton. And yeah. he goes, okay. He goes, oh, you're here to see Rico? He goes, wonderful kid, wonderful kid. Then the cops start telling everything about him, and I actually gave him a mat. I didn't even get pulled over for a speeding ticket, but I still gave him one of my magazines. I usually do that if I – get pulled over and a cop is a football fan just to try yeah. to ease, his, ease my way out of a speeding ticket. Yeah. I was going to say, man, if the cop asked, hey, do you know where you are? You, you should have said, Ohio? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would have been great. Absolutely. Hey, Tom, man, Absolutely. it's a pleasure, man. What? A- anytime, Tim. Anytime you want me on, just give me a holler. I'd be glad you- to come on. You got it, Tom. Appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Tom Lemming, a legend uh, uh, who just keeps getting better with age. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, uh, the father of the man of the year, uh, uh, Joe Burrow. This is Jim Burrow. Uh, Jim, it was nice to see y'all's living room the other night on national television. You and your wife and your uh, son, Joe Burrow, waiting for that, waiting on pins and needles on whether or not you were going to be the first. He was going to be the first pick of the of the 2020 NFL draft. What was it like living that moment? It was. It was. It was kind of strange being in your your. Uh your living room wait, waiting for the big, biggest moment in your son's life. Uh, so, but it was a lot of excitement. Um, I mean, we had a, uh, certainly knew for the most part what was going on, but it's still, uh, uh, right before it happens and the commissioner gets up there, your, your heart's beating pretty fast and, uh, uh, you're, you're nervous, uh, anxious, uh, all, all of those, uh, emotions that, that probably you, you would, uh, you would uh, think that, a parent would would have at that point. Yeah, I was being facetious about being on pins and needles because when did y'all when did y'all now that it's out of the the cat is out of the uh, bag? When did y'all know that uh, Joe was going to be that pick? Well, I think it's been reported and it's 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 pretty accurate that uh, the day before you know we we gotten a letter from uh, uh, from uh, Mr. Brown and uh, yeah. uh, that that kind of. Uh, solidified in, in our minds that yes, this was going to happen. But once again, I've been around uh, the draft and, and football for a long time and, and uh, you're still going, well, uh, it's not over till it's over. Right. And right. Uh, uh, you know, that, that a lot of strange things happen uh, leading right up to the minute somebody makes a pick. And, and uh, so still you're, uh, when they call his name out, number one pick by, by the commissioner, then uh, you feel pretty good about it. Jim, what is it, you know, give me the thoughts in your mind, maybe step back from it as a third party looking at this, where your son has gone from, and we discussed on your several appearances on my show here, your son has gone from this guy just trying to find a place where he could be a starter uh, for a couple of seasons in college football before that was all over to him being the, the Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, uh, national record setter, 60 touchdown passes this past year. Uh, no one's had maybe in history in major college football for sure had a season like he had. And now the number one pick in the draft. Is that just 
is 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 that crazy to you? Tell me what your thoughts are in that regard. Well, it is crazy. I mean, somebody mentioned the other day that you know that that's really the equivalent. Uh, that's the college uh, football uh, triple crown. You, you get the highest one national championship, and then you're the number one uh, draft choice. So I, yeah. I thought that that was pretty cool. But uh, you know, we always had confidence in in Joe as as his parents, and Joe had confidence and. Uh, we, we thought uh, all along if, if he got the opportunity at Ohio State and he became the starter that uh, he could win a national championship there and he could be very successful. But uh, to do the things that he and, and, and his team uh, uh, did uh, at, at LSU this year, I mean, you, you couldn't have predicted it. And uh, uh, it, it started uh, very early, the, all the success that he had, and then uh, the team just built on its confidence, and so did Joe. But uh, you know, it was it was quite a ride. Yeah, what a steamroller, man! Once a steamroller gets going, it's it's a sight to behold. What is uh, what is it like knowing you your son now? Uh, an NFL team, a National Football League team, has staked its future on him as their as their guy. There, you know, the, nothing's more important. And you know, we can argue this forever. I know you were a defensive coach. Nothing's more important than that starting quarterback. You know, where there's high school pros, high school college or the NFL, but definitely in the NFL, that's the real difference maker. When all else fails, he can pull something out of his rear end and still make a play. But what is it like uh, knowing that your son's your son is now the future of the Cincinnati Bengals? And I know it. You know, I know it takes eleven guys on a team and twenty-two, you know, both ways, et cetera. But the, the quarterback is so important <clears throat> if you look around, and a team has now staked its future on your son. How? How crazy is that? <laughs> well, so it's a little overwhelming. I mean, you you want uh, your your son to 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 have have an opportunity to be successful. That that certainly is is being given to him. But but you're just thinking about the you know the the pressure of being a an NFL quarterback is is there, there's a lot of uh, obviously pressure on any quarterback. But then the first pick in the draft and and your your home state and all that. Uh, but yeah. You know, Joe's Joe's uh, he's uh, he's ready for the challenge, and and uh, it's, it's close to home, so we'll we'll be there to to support him, just like we've always been. And and uh, uh, as you said, team effort. Uh, but it looks like they had a great draft, and and uh, you know we we uh, we like Zach Taylor and, and what he's what he's doing. So Joe's ready for it. Very competitive guy, as as, as everybody knows, and. And he's ready to, for the challenge. Yeah, Billy Price and Michael Jordan, you know, used to play line at Ohio State or down there, are going to be down there with him. I'm sure they were new acquaintances. But, uh, you know, when, you, when you're when you the number one pick of the draft and you're a quarterback, and you, uh, that means you're going to a team that's had some problems. Uh, are, you con- are you concerned or worried about him in that regard? I mean, a lot of, a lot of these first-time number one quarterback picks, there have been a few that have panned out pretty well, but some just get beat up and stuff. And I'm just – are you concerned about that aspect of things uh, for a team that's rebuilding? No, uh, that that's really really not a concern. We just uh, know that uh, anywhere uh, a, a rookie quarterback goes, there's a challenge, there's a learning curve. Knowing that as a coach, from from uh, any position, from uh, 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 going from college to the uh, to the NFL, so. Uh, uh, quarterback is is certainly at a at a different level, and uh, we understand that. But 
no, Joe's Joe's going to play like he always does, and we're going to be uh, uh, we're going to be uh, supporting him as I said, and and uh, there there's a there's a a great thing we believe going on in uh, Cincinnati, and we're excited for. Hey, uh, who's the coolest guy you've met in the last? Besides myself, of course, Jim. Who's the coolest guy? The most interesting guy you've met over the last year, the last couple of years, while your son has taken this journey, that really made an impression on you. Um, probably uh, the, uh, the 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 Manning, uh, Peyton, Eli, and of course I grew up in Mississippi, so so Archie uh, was was an icon, and and uh, yeah. to meet meet any of those those guys in in the at the Manning Academy. And, Develop a, a relationship with with this uh, year. That's that's uh, you know when I met Archie, my my knees got a little weak there, and uh, uh, I had to I had to collect myself. Uh, it was pretty good for me though. Yeah, I was gonna say first time I met Archie, brought his son up here, Peyton Manning. He finished second in the Player of the Year award. It was sponsored by the Columbus Touchdown Club, and uh, and I reminded him I grew up an Alabama fan. I reminded him how Alabama beat him on national television at one time. <laughs> and he reminded me how they had beaten Alabama the year before. So, but Archie's one of the class guys you're ever going to meet. Last thing, uh, uh, Joe, they're they're not allowed to, you know, right now, uh, you know, the NFL facilities are closed, you know, NFL teams and stuff. What's sort of like uh, the schedule for Joe between now? This is such a an odd time. What what have they told him as far as getting ready for the preseason camp or OTAs or anything else? What what is everything sort of in limbo? How would you describe it to people? Yeah, I'd say things are still still in limbo. I mean, uh, uh, he's just going to be continuing to to do uh, what what he's done, throw with with some of his high school teammates at the different places, try to try to find places to to, to be able to lift and and uh, uh, you know he's been meeting with the, the Bengals uh, coaches and uh, on the phone and and doing things uh, uh, through through the laptop type thing. Yeah. Uh, he really doesn't doesn't have a uh, plan yet from angles that they're going to be going here in the next few weeks. That's up in the air. Hey, last thing. You feel like he was robbed of a moment the other night of being on the red carpet in Las Vegas, et cetera? Or as you look back on it as a family and stuff, was was that a real special kind of way to be the number one draft pick, to be sitting there with your mom and dad and – and not the pomp and circumstance. Well, it, it, we, we were disappointed that we didn't go to the Vegas just just because. Hey, that's it's Vegas. It's 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 going to be a big event. But but when it was all said and done, I mean, we 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 couldn't have been more happy to to be able to experience that in in our living room. It's a special moment uh, in our family's uh, uh, history forever and ever. And uh, I've never been to Vegas, so I'm just trying to find another reason to go there, and I'm sure I can here in the next few years. But uh, we didn't know how that was going to go because of the, the all the equipment they sent us to to, um, to to set up. Fortunately, my wife is is pretty technically savvy. Well, Jim, hey man, I appreciate you being on my podcast again, man. I really appreciate you helping me chronicle the rise of Joe Burrow, and really a lot of a lot of things have only just begun because. He's going to end up playing in the NFL probably a lot longer than he played high school or college football, and uh, and it's going to be fun to watch him. I appreciate it, Jim. I really do. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I was Jim Burrow, father of Joe Burrow, the number one draft pick, the Heisman Trophy winner, the national champion. Uh, and we'll be back in a moment uh, with some basic, some closing thoughts with my friend Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. Well, that was Jim Burrow, uh, Austin. What a year for that family, huh? It's, uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around everything that, you know, happened for him over that year because I think there's – there's all sorts of things about the Joe Burrow story that people have exaggerated and, and made it into more than it was. And that includes the fact that this was like some no brainer, um, you know, decision for Ohio state with JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow and a lot of revisionist history going on there, but also just when he was at LSU, it's not like, you know, at the end of the 2018 season that everyone was talking about him being a, first round draft pick or the number one overall draft pick. I think Mel Kuyper, um, if we're talking about all these guys that are the originators today, Tom Lemming and Mel Kuyper, you know, yeah. they had as a potential sixth round draft pick after his first season at LSU, the rise uh, is truly remarkable. The story we've said that before, uh, before the Heisman ceremony, it's absolutely amazing what he did. It's a fairy tale story and it's uh, it doesn't need to, any exaggeration, but, um, what a cool moment for his family. Um, it, he has a lot of Ohio State teammates and former coaches and, and Ryan Day and Mickey Marotti who were pulling for that as well. Uh, you know, they would have loved to have played him uh, in that college football playoff championship game. It didn't work out that way. But um, everybody, I think, um, Thursday night felt great for the Burrow family. And then especially because Ohio State followed that up with Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. Yeah. I was going to say, man, Urban Meyer – and some of the coaches who were on that 28-2017 staff at Ohio State, they had to be sitting around at least having some kind of goosebump moment on, as they watched the, the first three picks in the draft. When you consider in 2017, all three of those guys were on the Ohio State roster. They, none of them had blossomed yet. Obviously, Jeffrey Okuda uh, and Chase Young. Chase Young was a freshman uh, in the shadow of the Boses, you know, even then Jeffrey Okuda was waiting his turn at DBU or as he calls it BIA to be a starter. And Joe Burrow was just fighting to get some recognition of, of maybe getting a shot to play quarterback at Ohio state. Uh, you know, and, uh, but it's just amazing. All three of those were in the, in the same team meeting room and there, there they were at the top of the draft. I mean, that that's crazy when you think about it, Austin. And it also speaks to just, Mark Pantone, that that group, Urban Meyer and his and his staff, and now it's like Tom Lemming was talking about the way Ryan Day has carried on and taken it maybe even to another level. I mean, he thinks his 2021 class is going to rival the 1968 Super Softs, you know, or the uh, that 2000, you know, the the Bosa Joey Bosa group that came in and just did great things because what a what a foundation to base a a, a big time charge on. Yeah, I, you know, I, I defer to, you know, guys like Lemming and Burham, obviously, to break down what those classes really mean. That's, that's certainly not where I spend a lot of my time, but it's hard to ignore the uh, role that Ohio State is on in recruiting. You look at the rankings, and that's, that's all I can really go off of. And they generally are, with the four- and five-star guys, those are generally right more often than they're wrong. I, I know that it's always trendy to look at the three-star guys or, unranked guys that become draft picks, but the, the success rate 
the guys that hit at four and five star level is pretty high and Ohio state is getting them even during, you know, the quarantine and they've been getting them for years. And, and urban Meyer really took the recruiting level to uh, re, you know, a spot that had never been in school history. You talk way back about the super softs. That's, you know, it's hard to even put that in comparison because there were no recruiting sites back then, obviously, right. and people ranking that stuff. Um, but you look at this now on paper, even if it just ended right now, it would be one of the greatest classes in Ohio State history, and they're not done yet. Um, I look at it as this – I wrote on Friday about how the, the first-round streak, multiple guys every single year and for five, six, seven years in a row, like it's not going to stop. Like next year's draft class is going to be even better than what Ohio State just had on, on Thursday night. You know, it might not go one, two, three, but Justin Fields is going to be a first-round pick. Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, I think, will both both be first-round picks. Sean Wade is going to be a first-round pick. I think Chris Olave is going to come out, and he's going to have a shot to be a first-round pick. Um, Tyreek Smith, Jonathan Cooper, Tommy Togia, if he comes out, they all three of those starting linebackers, they might not be first-round picks. But, um, you know, yeah. that's I'm not even, you know, done yet. Trey Sermon's now on the roster. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely wild. Uh, Luke Farrell and Jeremy Rucker is trying to go through the, every position has guys that are, are going to be draftable. Uh, our, our, our guy that we talk about all the time, Josh Proctor will be eligible if he has the year that we think he could have. So yeah. next year's draft class uh, could shatter records that Ohio state's had. It could challenge what LSU did uh, this year. And that then is going to fuel the 2022 recruiting class. And then 2023 class, because these kids, these are the memories that they have now. Um, you and I have longer memories about, you know, just how this all came to be. But, you know, I remember um, right before the lockdown going on that trip with Berm in North Carolina, talking to Evan Pryor and Travion Henderson, like, well, I love Ohio State because of Zeke. Like, that was who – that's who was, is in For their sure. mind. Sure. Of, well, who formed their impression of Ohio State. And so every year since then, you know, Ohio State – these young kids, that's what they know is that Ohio State puts first-round draft picks in the league every single year. So this is not going to stop. I don't really know what could slow it down at this point. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was uh, texting my buddy Bo Bishop. Uh, we were, I was watching uh, uh, Last Dance on Sunday night, the, the, the next two episodes, and I was going, you know, this debate on whether uh, LeBron James is the greatest of all time, uh, you know, I think that's legit in, in the sense, but – Man, I hope a lot of these uh, 30-somethings and 20-somethings are watching that and how good Michael Jordan was, you know. And that's just what you touched on. But what people remember, what's happening, you know, in, in their impressionable times. Or, and uh, without a doubt, Zeke Elliott <coughs> is one of those great, you know. And he was a big-time he was a big time recruit, but he wasn't like over the top big time, you know. And that's what Ohio State hasn't just taken five stars and turned them into big-time players. They've taken some other guys and developed them. And real quick, I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, you and I were communicating during the draft uh, the other night, the, the three nights. Uh, you, I'm going to take Brandon Bowen. You take K.J. Hill. What did teams – and I thought Ryan Day said it best. I mean, the guy, all he did was catch more passes than any player in Ohio State history. Number two, all he did was get open and catch the ball, which is the primary objective of a receiver. What happens after that is gravy. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm talking about whether you, you know, the yak, as the old saying goes, yards after catch. But uh, was he the most penalized of the Buckeyes? I mean, you know, J.K. Dobbins, 
I think most of us expected him to go high second round, maybe late first round if things broke right. But that's just that's just team choices there. That's subjective as heck. He still went in the second round. He still went to a damn good team that's on the rise, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So, yeah, I think that was a disappointment to J.K., especially when you saw Cam Akers go ahead of him. Are you kidding me? Right. Uh, but, uh, but then past that, he's still a second rounder. K.J. Hill dropped to the seventh rounder. Are you kidding? It was almost like a – a throwaway pick at the end, but hey, let's take a chance on this guy. His 40 time, that's what killed him, right? And then I'll, I'll take the Brandon Bowen point. Yeah. Well, it's hard to really even wrap your mind around it with KJ Hill because at no point during his career did people, you know, say, wow, what, what really makes you worried about KJ Hill is him beating you over the top. Like he was doing what it was remarkable consistency. It was the ability to separate from defensive backs who probably ran. Uh, better 40 times than him. Um, you know, the knack for uh, – Evan Spencer really hit this on the head with a uh, the touchdown catch at Penn State two years ago. He had, a, you know, a way – an understanding of what to do with the football to set up his blocks. So he's a really savvy, intelligent player, uh, and that's – you know, he knows the angles. He can set up teammates to help him, and that's how he gets open all the time too. He With or without the football, he has a, a – knack for understanding the game and creating space. And that, that's proven over four years of production. Um, you know, some, some years of, of those four better than others, of course. But uh, you know, Ohio State wasn't going to trade him for anybody else. You look at those 30 wide receivers or however many winded up, wound up being that went before him, you know, they weren't giving up K.J. Hill for those people. Uh, you know, maybe the other one that slid Donovan Peoples-Jones, Urban Meyer talked about that last week with Berm, that uh, – that was the guy that slipped away that they really wanted, but that's a different kind of person. Yeah. KJ made the offense go for Ohio State, and you see these guys, you know, in Tom Brady and the Patriots being the perfect example, you know, looking for these slot guys who have an understanding. They don't have the, the best measurable athleticism maybe, but they know how to play the game and fit into the offense, and they're not going to drop any passes that come their way. That's KJ Hill. Why that wasn't valued until the seventh round, I will never understand, but – the Chargers are, are going to reap the benefit. It fell all the way to it. Yeah. That's, that's perfect for him. You know, it's interesting uh, to me talking about a guy who's been around and, and saw players long ago. The Fred Belitnikoff Award. <laughs> Fred Belitnikoff <laughs> was a lot like K.J. Hill. If you follow my drift, all he did was get open and catch the ball. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't going you know, to win a lot of 40-yard dashes or 100-yard dashes, but it's really funny the the guy that they hold up as the – maybe one of the great pass catchers of all time, great, uh, you know, I mean, you know, people forget. I mean, it's all about execution, man, when it comes to the NFL. Is this guy going to run the right route? Is he going to read the defense like the quarterback did? Is he going to get open? I think K.J. Hill has proven uh, in a pretty pretty sophisticated offense, which is Ohio State's, that he can do that. Now, I get to take the Brandon Bowen thing. I got into a little Twitter spat with a guy the other night because I was bored and I decided to embrace it. But uh, he was talking about how the reason Cam Akers, Cam Akers is a better running back than, than J.K. Dobbins because Cam Akers had to earn every yard he got last year with Florida State. I go, well, that number, number one, he shows he made the wrong college choice, right? Because yeah. Ohio State was recruiting him really hard until things went the other way with him. And he goes to Florida State, kid out of Clinton, Mississippi, uh, which is a suburb of Jackson. But uh, the thing about J.K. Dobbins was that this guy was asserting that J.K. wasn't getting hit until he was five yards down the field. Okay, well, there were two Ohio State offensive linemen uh, available in the draft, right? 
Yep. And uh, one of them got drafted, and uh, one of them didn't. So where's your argument there? This, you know, J.K. Dobbins was doing it, but he was behind a, an offensive line where the starting right tackle who had a hell of a year, Brandon Bowen, didn't even get a call. And uh, so you can't have it both ways. You know, Jonah Jackson, man, the video of that guy, you know, I'm talking about the other Ohio State offensive lineman who got drafted, uh, is, is, wow, just jumps off the chart at you. But, you know, he finally got into an offense where there were other good players around him, and so he was able to do his thing instead of pretty much at Rutgers. He was kind of carrying the load, if you follow my dear. But Brandon Bowen, I mean, you've been around Brandon Bowen. Is there a bigger human being on that team other than Dewan Jones, you know, uh, where you just go, wow. And number two, you put on the video, he can move. He was plastering guys. He had some great blocks and some key moments for Ohio State, uh, especially down the stretch last year. Uh, I think he's a guy who really got robbed, but then he didn't get robbed because you know why? He went to a team, the Carolina Panthers, under Matt Rule, a brand-new coach. They had seven draft picks, and they were all on defense. <laughs> so he's going to get a shot. Uh, he's going to get a great shot because he signed with them or uh, agreed with them immediately. So that's an example of how sometimes when he gets late in the draft, you're better off being able to pick your team, to pick your spot, I think Brandon Bowen's going to surprise some people. I, that's the one guy, of all the guys you didn't get drafted, that's the one guy who I thought got shortchanged. Yeah, he's got the best chance. And that's just what you said. He, he got to pick a spot where he could go compete, which is better than, uh, in, in a lot of cases, you know, no, obviously the team that takes you in the seventh round still wants you. Uh, so they see a fit for you. But if you get your choice of all 32 teams and where you think you, you're going to have a chance to really compete, I'm sure – you know, Matt Rule was hitting up that phone with a with a you know recruiting pitch, just like he was back at Baylor for Brandon Bowen, and uh, telling him he's all on board. What I've said this before, I, I did not understand at all how he didn't get invited to the combine. So that hurt him there. Yeah. Then you have no pro day, and it, it wasn't that I think people needed him to run, or even that they needed to have an appreciation for how enormous that guy is, which people forget all the time. I do even until you you walk back out there and see him even without the pads, he's one of the biggest human beings that you're ever going to see. And, but beyond that, they probably just wanted all these guys, all their team doctors to, you know, take a look at the history and ask about the leg and, you know, yeah. why, why it took so long or what, what happened with the first surgery that, you know, set him back again last year. Uh, it, the, the injury concern obviously was a, a red flag for them, but, uh, and that he could have addressed that if he, if the teams had got to look at him because they, at the combine, man, they poke and prod you, and you go from table to table and see every team doctor under the sun. At least that's how Zach Bourne has described it to me from his experience there yeah. at the combine. And that those teams would have had that answered. But even you know, even if they didn't, it's he still played all of last season. He had one you know minor setback, uh, wasn't tied to the leg at all, and played at a very high level last year for Ohio State. That should have been enough to really dispel that because. <laughs> Yeah, it was well, that's what I tweeted. That's, that's what I tweeted about earlier in the draft. I mean, I, you know, these teams that take flyers, that's okay to take a flyer. That's what they, you know, Gil Brandt. That's how he made his, made his reputation. I mean, with the Dallas Cowboys, you know, and, uh, uh, but, but in Tech Shrimp. But I mean, the bottom line is this guy has video that pro scouts can sit and watch of him going against big time competition, not St. John's, a Division three school. In Minnesota, where a guy put on 50 pounds and uh, still has short arms, well, 
he'll probably end up playing guard. And that kid had a really good draft rating, but he got it. I think he got invited to the combine, the kid I'm think, thinking about, uh, but uh, went to Jacksonville, was drafted by Jacksonville. But I don't understand taking a flyer on that, on a guy like that in the, what, the third round. And then you don't take a flyer on a guy who started every game for Ohio State in a college football playoff championship qualifying season and was part of one of the more prolific offenses in history, helped elevate a guy to a school record 2,000 yards rushing, J.K. Dobbins, and helped protect a guy who threw a boatload of touchdown passes again, et cetera. That's, that's what baffles me is, you know, you want to be – guys want to be smarter than you really have to be. What you want to recruit are football players. And I've got video that can show you that Brandon Bowen's a hell of a football player. You know, we're going to come back next week. We're going to talk about the B.B. Landers situation etc. And, you know, what happened there and maybe what might be happening for him down the road, but because uh, we're running out of time here today. But uh, Boston, I mean, it was an interesting draft in all kinds of ways. I mean, uh, LSU lost 14 players. Uh, Michigan saw 10 drafted, just like Ohio State did. And I think you pointed out, but then what they had four, four players drafted from their offensive line, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, kudos to them. But, wow. What does that say about Michigan uh, this coming season? Yeah, it says – well, it says two things, I think. One is that we had this talent gap argument, and I saw people like uh, Charles Woodson, I think, was like, well, it's, it's 10 to 10. Well, those 10 aren't, aren't equal. Yeah. Right? Ohio State's are in – are loaded in the front round, and I think the vast – like what, whatever it was, seven or eight guys from Michigan – rounds four through seven. I get, I don't know if that's yeah. the exact number. I'm just – You're, you're pretty close. Yeah, but, like, that's that's not the same. Those ten are not created equal, so that's part of the problem. But then, as you're saying right there, if they're all uh, – you know, Ruiz, I think he was a, a hell of a football player. But what, what Michigan has done on the offensive line, and Ed Warner, he was phenomenal at Ohio State. It's still not been that effective for Michigan with those guys up front. And the same thing with what I talked about with Donovan Peoples-Jones, like – I don't know that Michigan should be encouraged by what they just saw. If those are 10 NFL players uh, and they deserve to probably be there, they were some of the higher-rated recruits that the Wolverines had, and they still couldn't get over the hump against Ohio State, and you're about to have a completely rebuild offensive line. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. That's not an encouraging sign for Blue. That's not going to yeah. work. Yeah. Meanwhile, as Tom Lemming pointed I mean, Tom Lemming even pointed out, you know, that uh, – Ohio State has been recruiting at a higher level than Michigan has, you know. And, uh, you know, you, you know, Urban Meyer changed things when he came to Ohio State back in 2012 for the Big Ten. He goes, and James Franklin's done the same thing, you know, at Penn State. Did the same thing for Penn State, maybe on a slightly lesser scale. But uh, the other schools, in, including Michigan, have been lagging in that. And, you know, we had a whole, uh, we had a whole uh, program about that a couple of weeks ago. You can, folks, you can download that. My, my conversation with Angelique Shingelis, who's been covering Michigan for a long time, and then, and in Boston, you know him as Austin Ward coming on and, and uh, basically giving his two cents worth. I mean, recruiting is the name of the game, and it bears out when you watch the draft uh, four, five, three, four, five years later. And uh, it's like I wrote a story for LettermanRoad.com about how uh, Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs and et cetera, they've learned to roll with the punches of losing guys just when they become that super stud <laughs> you, recruit, you recruited for. And uh, that's remarkable how they brought players along, isn't it, Austin? I mean, excuse it, me, Boston. Yeah, yeah. And it was, Mr. Excuse me, Mr. Ward. It was a great story, and you got, you got that insight from, from LJ and Kerry Combs. Like, and this is nothing new for them. I remember 
like three or four years ago, just asking Combs about this. Like, well, ideally you would like to have these guys that you wouldn't want them having leaving early. Uh, you know, you had Conley and Apple and Marshawn Lattimore, and you know they they only got a year or two of production. And you asked Ryan Day about this as well on Sunday. Like, well, you know, the other option is not having really good players. Like, the if yeah. those are your two choices, like one is a one is a challenge because you're going to have to develop guys who aren't. Uh, going to be NFL draft picks. And the other is you're going to have to keep replacing him. So you pick your poison. I think I would take the good players. And that's sort of, you know, what Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs have done. That puts the emphasis on the recruiting and that makes it a little bit, a little bit easier. Not that it's a done deal after that. You still have to develop, but you would rather do that with the more talented players and challenge yourself to find more of them than to take a bunch of flyers, whether that's, you know, NFL scouts, you talked about that in the late rounds and, and hope that you can get something out of them at the college level, you just take the better, the better talent and you yeah. hope to find more, especially right now when you've been proven that you can do, you know what to do with it. Get in the game and get in the game as the old saying goes, you know, and the, 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 the big time great player, just like in basketball, they make the difference in the biggest moments usually. And that doesn't mean you're always going to win, but let's face it. I thought the play of the game against Clemson uh, when Ohio State, Ohio State was robbed in that game without a doubt. The play of the game was when a five-star Jeffrey Okuda ripped the ball out of what was it? I forgot the receiver. But anyway, ripped the ball out of that guy's hands after he had, had the ball clutched and took three or four steps with it. And and Jordan Fuller returned it for a touchdown, which was then taken off the board by a guy sitting in Birmingham uh, watching the replay. Uh, but that's what Jeffrey Okuda brought to the table. He made a play when it needed to be be made, even though it eventually was taken off the off the board. That's what the five stars do for you. That's what Clemson has lived on. That's what Alabama has lived on. Oklahoma, to a certain extent, has lived on that. Uh, Georgia, right on down the line. That's what separates the elite. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, well, that's like going down a rabbit hole when we start talking about stuff like that because <laughs> you can just keep burrowing, man. It's, it's crazy. Hey, Boston, uh, appreciate you coming on again, my man. Uh, you know, you're as much a part of the show as Tim May is, but uh, as uh, Troy Smith said, they had, a, they had the – they had to give the award to somebody, so they gave it to me, the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I appreciate you coming on again, my man. Uh, and ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back again next week with some more interesting guests to talk about. And like I said, we're going to explore the Robert B.B. Lander situation uh, in some respect because there's a guy that just exudes, you know, not just a good-time guy, but a guy that busts his butt, et cetera. And, you know, with in any kind of, like, uh, sport sports, et cetera, athletic endeavor, there comes a moment in time when somebody decides, hey, you don't get to play anymore, you know? And whether that's come for B.B. Landers, we're, we're going to find out over the next week or so. But uh, it'll be interesting because I told him a long time ago, when push comes to shove, he's got a, uh, he's got a career in broadcasting because I think this guy is a treat to be around, refreshing young man who's not afraid to kind of lay it out there, you know, one example is him wearing that cowboy hat. That's still one of my favorite things he did to hide his dyed hair. But anyway, we'll be back next week with some interesting things. But until then, this is Tim May for Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. We'll see you later. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.